Let us now open to the book of Acts, chapter 27, where we are going to be reading through uh, this chapter tonight. And um, Pastor Joe actually preached on this passage a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to kind of go through it in a different way, through by way of teaching, okay, verse by verse. Um, so if you have it, if you've pulled it up um, already, uh, why don't you go ahead, the old, school, the old school thing we used to do was say amen. So if you have it, say amen. amen. All right. If you don't have it, hopefully we'll provide that on the side walls for you so you can follow along. And I'm reading from the NIV uh, version. I, I believe it was a 1980, um, 1980, one of the earliest committees, translation committees that translated uh, the Bible from Hebrew into English. Um, in the Old Testament, and then the New Testament from Greek into English. Okay, those are the two written languages of their respective um, uh, eras um, thousands of years ago. And the NIV, uh, the New International Version, was a committee. You can read in the beginning of your Bibles, oftentimes they'll have a list of uh, people um, and the place and the time that the translation committees did this very, very diligent work in bringing the word of God to us. So we're thankful for that. Verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, everybody say Italy. Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Okay, so now, um, for those who have not been here, um, we're just going to give you a little bit of background. Uh, the Apostle Paul has been in prison for over two years now at this particular uh, stint in his life. Um, you know, when you talk to people and they say, yeah, man, I've been in and out of jail my whole life. Well, Paul could actually say that. I've been in and out of jail my whole life. Um, and the reason why Paul was in and out of jail was because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And at this particular point in time, um, there were a, a particular group of uh, leaders within the Jewish uh, religion that wanted Paul uh, killed. And so they were going to great lengths to try and have, have him um, executed. And at this point in time, Paul had just stood before King Agrippa, who was the king of Judea. Um, and he was uh, Jewish by, by lineage and by blood, but was really far from God, as far from God as anybody could possibly be. Okay, And King Agrippa was one of the regional overseers of a particular people that was still in subjection to the Roman Empire, all right, or Caesar. Are you tracking so far? And so now Paul has seen all these different people, and they said, we don't see any reason why you should be in jail or why you should even be executed. Uh, nonetheless, Paul remains um, in custody, and now he is um, put on a ship and now is headed for Rome, headed for Italy, okay? Uh, we boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for the ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. I want to pause there for a moment in verse 2. And whenever you see uh, the language like we or I, you know that the person is writing in first person context. And the person writing the book of Acts is Luke, okay? Luke the evangelist. Luke um, was one of the gospel writers, was not one of the original disciples of Jesus, but he was a couple of degrees of separation away from being um, a disciple uh, of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, nonetheless, Luke, when he says we, what does that tell you when he says we boarded a ship? He was there. Luke was there with Paul, which is why Luke was able to write from a, a first-person account, okay, which is very, very important, okay, for validating this kind of a piece of literature, okay. For some scholars, it's, it's just literature. For us, it's power. It's salvation. It's the Word of God. Amen? Um, but um, whenever we see this kind of a piece of uh, writing or book, we, we have to understand, we have to slow down, we have to process a little bit about what's going on. So Luke says, we boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for the ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Now, if you really, really want to go and look and find out um, um, where on a map these little port cities, these islands, this region of the world is located, maybe... I don't know if Pastor is able to pull up a map. I didn't. I didn't give him a fair warning. Um, he might be able to. If not, go online and and find out where these places are, so you can trace Paul's um, journey. Sometimes they'll show you Paul's uh, voyage on the ship where he wrecked, in, according to Acts chapter twenty-seven. You can find things like that in your studies. All right. Um, let's continue. Aristarchus, okay, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Again, Luke's saying now there's, it's myself, it's Paul, and it's another guy. What's his name? What's his name? Aristarchus, okay. Aristarchus was with them as well, okay. And I want to give us a little bit of information if you have a journal or a notebook and you want to write this down, okay, um, you can write down Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, where you can learn a little bit more about Aristarchus and his journeys with Paul um, and find out why he was with Paul at so many different times and moments. Um, some of the times Aristarchus was with Paul doing ministry. He was one of his, his best assistants. And you can say in a way... He cared so deeply about Paul that he wanted to be there for Paul to assist him in whatever Paul needed. Not just for ministry, but also in a personal way. Amen? Um, and then I'm going to show a little bit of my soft side a little bit. My father, who is Pastor Emeritus of Mission Ebenezer, no longer our senior pastor, but pastored for over 40 years, had so many people that assisted my dad and cared for him. And so now that he's no longer the senior pastor, it's not that Pastor Isaac is forgotten about and, and nobody is there to care for. No, guess what? There is still a wonderful group of people that continue to care for the needs of my father and my mother and minister to him and, and during the week, bring my, my dad a little a little piece of pan and some some uh, coffee with canela and, and have fellowship with pops and we'll... we'll Take a journey with my dad when he's going to minister the word of God out in the, the Inland Empire, out in the valley. And my dad has folks that will drive him there and, and assist him at some of these times and these moments. And, and it reminds me a little bit of Paul and the way he had men also that cared for him and that journeyed with him. And that said, you know, you know what, Paul, wherever you go, I'm going. Hey, you know what? 
um, Pastor Isaac, whenever you need anything, you just call me, right? And how many of you know it's important for us to look out for each other? Right? As was one another. We have to have people that will look out for each other out at on and out in the workforce, right? Um, whether you're a trucker, whether you, you work in the, the oil fields, whether you work on on um, ocean liners, whether you 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 work out on, on the field on uh, in the transport transportation business, um, whether you work in machinery, all right, whether you work on um, delivering goods, whether you're a driver, all right, a teacher, so on and so forth. You're a realtor. You're a businessman. All right. Guess what? Whether you're retired, guess what? The Lord wants to always make sure that we stay connected to the body of Christ because we all have needs and sometimes we can continue to meet the needs of one another. Amen. You're going to see how this means a little bit more here in just a couple of verses. Aristarchus, you guys, accompanied Paul to Ephesus, and he was also seized by the angry mob. If you could look in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, uh, he traveled to Paul, with Paul to Jerusalem, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 4, probably as a Thessalonian delegate, okay, that helped safeguard as a security for the massive, massive offering or collection that Paul took up there in Thessalonica where Paul would take offerings and take it to the Jews the Jewish Christians that were in Jerusalem now the reason why Paul did this was because the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem sometimes they were ostracized by the Jewish religion or leaders and they were mistreated because they began to follow Jesus Laverne and and, and it wasn't cool but Paul had a great heart of compassion, and so he would go raising offerings and collections for the Christian church in Jerusalem. Isn't that cool? And so people like Aristarchus were like, you know, his bodyguards that will help take care of this money because there were bandits, there were robbers, there were people along the way in the roads whenever they would travel by horseback or on foot, right? And, and they, would, they would try and take you for everything that you had. So some of the people that Paul had around him, they were, they, were, they were carrying, you know what I'm saying? They were armed because they had to make sure that nobody would come and take all of the, those, those offerings that they were collecting to go, um, that were going to go to good for the kingdom of God. Amen? So Aristarchus was one of those who says, I want to go, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Um, and then here, of course, in Acts chapter 27, we see that Aristarchus finds himself in prison with Paul, and then he's on this ship, along with Luke. And we later find out, through study, that there were people like Aristarchus who probably volunteered themselves to be imprisoned alongside Paul. Well, if Paul's going to go to prison, I'm going to surrender myself and I'm going to I want to be there with him. Are you crazy? No, I'm not. I'm not crazy. If you take that study even further, many scholars believe that it's because Paul may have been suffering from illness and sickness and was up getting up in age. There are times when um, there are biblical references that Paul refers to his eyesight and not being able to see very well. 
which now physicians, Christian physicians, that have studied scripture and studied the types of symptoms and the types of things that folks experienced and died of in the first century, guess what? A lot of people were dying from sugar diabetes because of their massive intakes of bread. They, meat wasn't easily sustainable because there were no refrigerators. There were no yeleras. And any meat that they were trying to hold on to and preserve, how did they preserve the meat? Salt. And if you eat too much salt, what happens then? Hypertension. You get high blood pressure. So you had everybody had lifespan, right, between 50, 60 years of age. If you lived after 60 years of age, even in those days, man, three score and ten, you were killing it. Right? We got retirees now. They're in their 70s, and they're just getting started. Right, Mamo? Just getting started. So praise the Lord. But at the same time, there were people who were looking out for Paul's needs. All right? So let's continue to read. Verse 3. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius. In kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. You see that right there? So they might provide for his needs. Who knows what was going on with Paul? Maybe he had sores. Maybe he had poor circulation. Maybe he, he needed to be tended to or cared for. Whatever the case, Paul made a request, probably through his young ministers at hand, that would go to Julius, the commander or the, the, the soldier of this imperial regiment, and say, at the next stop, would you mind if we stopped in at some people that we know who, who only can care for the needs of Paul the way we know that he needs to be cared for? And Julius said yes and accepted the request. Isn't that a blessing? I thank God for that. You know, when we go to football games and stuff like that, and my pops, he says, mijo, I'm taking my, my handicap card so we can pull up right close to the stadium. Okay, mijo? I'm like, all right, pop. He goes, and then when we go to uh, football games on the hot days, you know, it's like it's, this weekend it's going to be like uh, 102, 103. And on the playing field, that means it's going to be close to 110 degrees for the boys that are playing, especially in all these artificial turfs now that they got carrying on, 112, 115 degrees. And, um, and, and we, you know, some of the stadiums, they don't let you take in coolers. But then Pop says, mijo, I want to take my insulin and put it in the cooler with some, some you know, the ice packs and everything. Mijo, if you got any snacks, you know, some Snicker bars, you know, just put them in my cooler, mijo. <laughs> like, Pops, you're bad, dad. You're bad. <laughs> like oh you know I me mean, when my sugar gets low and I just you know gotta take a bite of a little snicker bar you know what I mean <laughs> they won't tell us anything at the gate you know all right pops it reminded me of my pops when I was reading about Paul you know what I'm saying from there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us anybody know what a lee is a lee is a sheltered area or region of a geographical or maybe a man-made uh, fabricated structure. So Lee uh, provides protection against the wind. Basically, that's what it is. And so if you were um, sailing in a ship and there was an island or there were uh, hills or mountains that, or a cliff 
right? They would travel as close as they can to the cliff or to the land itself because they were protected from the winds that, that may come and, and, and cause um, injury to the vessel, all right, to the ship or ultimately the people. And so that's what it means when it says that they uh, passed to the Lee of Cyprus. So that means Cyprus probably had a place where it was a cove, a place that was protected from, from the wind. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. Anybody know where Alexandria is? Everybody say Egypt. Alexandria was a popping city. It was a major, major city of um, philosophy, of education, of pomp and circumstance. It was one of the greatest cities of Africa, okay? And it was very close to Israel. If you see where the Red Sea is, where the River Nile and all that place, you see Alexandria is, was a very, very sophisticated uh, place at that time. So this was a, a, an Alexandrian ship. And when you, when, you, when you read something like this, when it talks about an Alexandrian ship, like not everybody knows how to make ships. Not everybody knows how to make missiles, bombs, airplanes, right? Um, not everybody knows and has all the, the secrets of technology or military warfare. There's, all, there's only a, a handful of nations around the world that have access to that kind of information. Alexandria back then would have been one of the cities on the forefront of technology, on the forefront uh, internationally, right, of the biggest, the best, and the baddest. So there was this ship, this Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and they um, changed ships after they had left Caesarea, all right, probably on a more local vessel, and then they entered onto this Alexandrian ship which probably means a bigger ship, probably means a very well-sophisticated ship, right, for all intents and purposes. Verse 7, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Nidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lasea. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. That means that's the fall. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hopping, uh, excuse me, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Let's continue. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it 
and were, given, were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So this Alexandrian ship, you guys, was carrying a lifeboat on the um, outside um, of the ship. <coughs> when the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. So they took ropes, you guys, and threw them and had a, a way of passing the ships, uh, excuse me, the ropes underneath the ship to tie it and hold all of the planks. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Hold it together as it was being driven to and fro here in the middle of this storm. Excuse me. <clears throat> Verse 18. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Wow, they're getting desperate, right? Apparently, the lighter a ship is, the, the, the easier it, it is able to manage the storm, the waves, and the wind. The heavier it is, it's weighed down and greater destruction, greater um, loss uh, takes place to the ship or the vessel itself um, because it's not able to manage the, the elements. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Wow. After the men had gone a long time without food... <clears throat> Paul stood up before them and said, now this is what I love about Paul, and this is what is really encouraging to me. He's a prisoner on a ship. He already warned them and told them, we need, to, we need to park it, we need to anchor, we need to dock, because there's a greater storm ahead. And they didn't listen, probably for money, probably because people miss their, their wives and their kids and they want to get home. And so they, they forged ahead and, and they went right into the middle of this storm, this nor'easter that was waiting for them in, right in the middle of winter. Finally, here in verse 21, Paul stands up and he says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. That's called prophecy. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now he's speaking life into a whole bunch of scared guys. He says, not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood before me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Hey, you guys, sometimes, sometimes you have to stand up in the middle of your storm and you have to declare and proclaim the word of the Lord over your life over yourself. Sometimes you have to stand up 
And when you see your spouse is going through a difficult time, you have to proclaim life and you have to encourage that person. Sometimes you have to lay hands on that person. Sometimes you need to ask for permission. Say, can I pray for you? And can I intercede and stand in the gap for you and then begin to speak and declare over them? You know, sometimes if we're not so sure and if we're weak in our faith, you will lack the courage. You will lack the revelation. You will lack the word of inspiration from the Lord himself to speak life over somebody. But guys, guess what? Wake up. Slap yourself a couple of times. And speak life over the people that God has placed around you. Or ask for prayer and say, I need you to speak life over me. I need you to pray over me. I, I need you to lay hands on me. I'm in need of encouragement. I need healing in my life. Paul stood up in the middle of the storm. And he spoke life over them. Whether they were believer or unbeliever. And he says, God spoke to me. And not one of you are going to die because I'm on this ship. <laughs> you guys, I was on a, on a plane from Tuscaloosa, Alabama to Gainesville, Florida. You may have not heard of Tuscaloosa nor Gainesville, but there are two prominent towns in the southeast. And the Florida Gator baseball team, the basketball team, and the track team had a plane that they would used frequently, and it was called Captain Jack. It was a propeller plane that seated about 50 people, and it was probably from the 1960s or 70s. It was a little shorty, a white plane. It looked pretty rickety from the outside. It had a blue and an orange stripe that ran the length of the plane from nose to tail, and on the the tail of the plane was the big old school logo UF um, and that's where I played baseball I got drafted out of high school from Carson High School by the Oakland A's turned down the offer went across the country to play for the Florida Gators um, and much to my surprise we had our own plane except this plane was smaller and it couldn't sustain right um, big storms and in the southeast that's all there is and so there was a, it, was, it was a nickname that, that we all had for the plane. Instead of calling it Captain Jack, we used to call it Captain Yak. And let your imagination run wild right there for you. And we hit the biggest storm leaving Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Matter of fact, it rained every day that we were there playing um, at the University of Alabama. There was puddles on the field every time we played. Many of our games were, were postponed, and we would have to find little pockets and windows to, to piece together each game every night. Matter of fact, we couldn't play Friday night. We played doubleheader Saturday. Sunday, we played as early as we could so that we could jump on that plane and try and go and make our way back to Gainesville because um, we had to get back to school. Well, somewhere over Mobile, Alabama, we had to make an emergency landing near the Gulf. And um, I had my Bible in my backpack, Jose, and, and I had people that were rotating, coming to sit next to me. No, it's my turn to go sit next to Canales. Canales, read a scripture to me. Canales, pray for me. And there were, there were grown men, grown men, um, 
scared as a five-year-old going into kindergarten for the first time, not wanting to leave their mama's hand. I mean, shivering in their, in their, in their boots. Um, and, and I just had every confidence in the world that nothing was going to happen to the plane, but there were probably going to be a few guys that were going to lose their cookies. And I remember that. And, and I'm just reminded of the assurance that a believer has when they're in Christ. The assurance that a believer has when they're walking with Christ. The assurance that a believer has when their relationship is where it needs to be with the Lord. We should even be assured, even as believers, even when we're not going so good with Christ and our walk is a little shaky, guess what? You should still have that blessed assurance that you're in the hands of the Lord. He's not a, a vengeful God. He doesn't come and, and just squash you when, you know, you have a bad day in your faith. God's not looking to just smash you with the mallet, with the hammer, because, you know, you made a couple of bad decisions. No, man, he's a loving God, and he's there to pick you up. He's there to say, hey, pick your head up, man. Hey, get your head out of the gutter. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop licking your wounds over there. It's time to go. Paul, hey, get up. Here we go. Men, not one of you will die. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. They must have thought Paul was crazy. Why are you listening to this kook? Why are you listening to this crazy man? These guys were about to jump ship. They were about to... Hit, jump into that little lifeboat and go every man for himself. But Paul spoke boldly and said, unless you stick with us, you go over that thing, guess what? You're going to die. So basically what Paul was saying is, unless you stay with us, unless you stay with us, you're going to die. That reminds me of John chapter 15. In Jesus' parable of the vine, he says, remain in me, abide in me, and you will produce much fruit. But what does he say? Uh, apart from me, what? You can do nothing. Paul was Christ embodied in the midst of those men on the ship. And Christ lives in each and every one of us. When we walk, we're Christ embodied. You need to believe that. You need to walk with that. You need to live in that Christ embodiment in your faith, 
Amen? Let's continue. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them to all eat. He says, for the last 14 days, okay, we're on 14, day 14 now. He said, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't even uh, eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them. That's called communion, right? <laughs> he took it and he broke it. <laughs> then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board, Luke says. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Wow. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Now, all this ship language is like beyond me, man. I'm, I, am, I do not have sea legs. I do not have sea legs. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Otherwise, it would have been their life and their responsibility, and accountable for that would be their lives. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump aboard, overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Chapter 27. So, what's one of the first things, you guys? <clears throat> you guys, there, there, is gonna be, there are going to be some storms and some shipwrecks ahead. There are. But we have to safeguard our faith. We have to prepare ourselves for that. All right? Um, they're unplanned, they're sudden, and they are scary. And you know what? There may be some cracks in the vessel. But don't let your, your, the vessel that is your faith and your spirit be broken. You make a poor mistake, guess what? Get on your knees. Go to the Lord. Ask him to come in and repair that crack. Amen? Paul said, unless we stick together, that's a word from the Lord for us. Unless we stick together. If we stick together, we survive. If we stick together, we can help each other. If we stick together, we can push past the pain. If we stick together, we can be saved. Thank you, Jesus. They were in the middle of the storm, and on day 14, they didn't realize how close they were to land until they prayed, and the Lord opened up the clouds and gave them a little bit of daylight, and they realized how close they were all along. You know, sometimes we're so close we're closer to the Lord than we think, um, but we feel lost, hopeless, faithless, hurt, alone. 
And sometimes we're flat out just going through the motions. But we need to draw in. We need to press in on that spiritual muscle memory. You know, as a former athlete, um, I can't do what the young guys do anymore. But every now and then, I can get out there on the field and have a good moment. Because my body remembers what it was like. And as believers, it's true. The same is true. You know, we may be having a tough time in our life. We're going through a time of doubt, questioning. Guess what? Lean into that spiritual uh, muscle memory. That spiritual memory of God showing up when you needed him most. Go to your journal that you've tucked away on, on your shelf in 2015 when he brought you out of that tough moment and read that journal entry that you wrote and be reminded that God was there for you then and he's going to be there for you again. The next thing is that there is a lifeboat for you and for me and that's Jesus. He's our security. He's our lifeboat. He's the one who rescues us. He says, come, choose me, and I'll give you salvation. Remember when we talked about hope? What was, what was the definition of hope from last week? Joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Hope is what? Joyful and confident expectation of external salvation through Christ Jesus. Isn't that cool? So that's what Jesus is. He's our hope. He's our lifeboat. Grab that rope. Undergird your life. Wrap it around the ship, which is the vessel of your faith. And hold it together long enough for the Lord to show up just in time like he always does. Amen? Amen. Amen.